Hello and welcome to Sobertown. I am King13 and you are riding with me today on the Sobertown train into the wonderful world of sobriety. For those of you who haven't had a chance to look around our website, sobertownpodcast.com is a one-stop shop for all things sobriety. There are wonderful podcasts and people's courageous stories. We have links, we have books, we have videos, we have traditional and non-traditional steps. Um, I know when I started out, I felt totally alone on this journey and I wish that there was a website like this that I could have gone to and just delved into. Uh, so please take your time, have a look around. It is really, really worth it. And our main goal is to help you stay sober. And also, I want to give a shout out to the IAS community, the I Am Sober community. It's the reason that a lot of my guests in the podcast um, are here too with me. We've all sort of found it. It's a counter app that your days actually just build up. And it's a community board where you can get lots of support and make lots of friends. And it's global. And Having said that and moving into that, the lady I'm about to interview today is one of my friends that I have met from the I Am Sober community, and I'm just so thrilled to have her here. Um, I think you're going to find her story quite remarkable because she has been given a second chance at life, and I don't want to say too much, but without further ado, I want to say good morning to my darling friend, Breakground. Morning. Morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, look, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. So I want you just to start wherever you feel comfortable and just tell the listeners the breakground story. All right. Well, thank you. Um, it's layered, but um, I'll kind of give a little bit of a background, I guess, starting with um, childhood because it kind of um, starts with, you know, sort of development of my personality and whatever. But um, as kids, my brother and I were meant to be seen and not heard. Um, my dad was, you know, especially hard on my brother, reflective of his own relationship with his dad, um, expected the best of us. Um, regardless of effort, most, um, you know, was rarely good enough. Um, even when we were proud of doing our chores or whatever, no sooner would he be doing it himself. Um, again, grumbling about what we did wrong. Um, and that kind of carried on, but you know, whatever. My parents divorced when uh, we, when I was 10. Um, we lived with my mom um, until a series of events took me away from that situation. And um, I got into my dad's custody. We moved um, out of province, just my dad and I, and um, moved here to Toronto. So um, he was a difficult man to be the daughter of, but he was always, always there for me somebody I could count on um, and, you know, whatever. But certainly we had, you know, our challenges. Um, my relationship with my mom remained complicated, distant, friendly at best, I would say. Um, neither drank really. So right. my drinking didn't come from that. But growing up in a French-Canadian family, um, it wasn't uncommon to see family enjoying alcohol um at family occasions yeah uh, but i don't ever recall anyone in drinking in excess um so that wasn't my introduction but knowing what i know now my upbringing probably left me with you know some issues of abandonment maybe inferiority and self-worth issues 
Um, but that's just my own work now that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, my drinking career myself started late. Um, I drank on occasion in high school, um, college. My college was close to home, so I didn't have the on-site university experience or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, but um, I could always kind of take it or leave it in those situations. Um, life happened. I mostly left it throughout my early adulthood, I guess. Um, what I chose for college, um, I ended up leaving the program because I recognized it wasn't for me. I, I probably went into social work for fixing my own issues. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I left that program um, and I went to work full time. Um, I got pregnant at 20, had my son at 21. That's um, early. It was early. Um, won't say it was planned, but he's the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. I see photos of you too. And it's just, it's lovely to see he's a big, big man. <laughs> yeah. He after his dad, um, he's, you know, wraps me up in his hugs and he's, it's great. Um, yeah. You've got the man in your life, right? You've got two of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's a special boy. Um, but at a year old, I found out that his dad was cheating. So we separated. Um, and at that same time, I was just off of maternity leave. Um, we're blessed to have a one year mat leave um, in here in Canada. Yeah. So yeah. I was going through that stressful situation of, you know, being a new single mom, going back to work. Um, and I started having seizures um, at work. So um, it was interesting how it all kind of developed. Um, one day I remember being in my bedroom and I picked up a piece of paper off of my dresser and I remember watching it float out of my hand. I was like, what the hell was that? Um, so that was the first situation. And then at work, um, my boss had called me in. I was working in a call center at the time. And um, my boss called me and he's like, I just recorded one of your calls. Can you come in and listen to this? Um, so I did and I'm like, was that me? What was that? And he's like, I don't know. So I went to the doctor and I told him these two situations. And he's like, hmm, sounds like you're having seizures. So right away, my license was gone. He put me on medication, referred me to a neurologist, and um, life changed. Um, so now I've got a one-year-old. And you're what, 21 years of age? I'm, well, now I'm 22, but yeah, yeah, well, yeah, um, yeah. one-year-old. And you know, whatever. So they put me on these medications, nothing was helping. At my worst, I was having about 30 seizures a day um, and none of the medications were helping. I was allergic to a bunch of them. They were putting me in the monitoring unit so they could um, watch these seizures, see where they were trying to, where they were coming from in my brain. And um, so this spanned about two years. And I was really lucky because what they found is that my seizures were coming from the right temporal lobe. Um, so they were isolated. And um, I was on disability from work. I couldn't have a bath by myself. <laughs> um, I couldn't leave the house by myself, whatever else. And um, my son, who was now three years old, learned what my seizures would look like. He would sit beside me. It's okay, mommy, I'll take care of you. Oh my God. Uh, and I'm like, I should be taking care of you. You know, so yeah, it was, it was a devastating time. Um, so my neurologist called me and said, we found where your seizures are. 
they're isolated, we can do surgery. Do you want it? I was like, yes. We were like, do you not want to talk to any family about it? I'm like, why? I'm not living. This is not life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up doing surgery on September 12th of 2001. So the day right after 9-11, um, which I'll never forget. Oh, and, you watched. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. So, which was, you know, the beginning of my second chance at life. Um, I was good for almost 11 years. Um, I got my license back, got my, um, got my independence back. And I really feel like my son and I grew up together. Uh, you know, we started a normal life. Um, but then another, like fast forward, another re major stressful point in my life. And my seizures came back in 2012. Um, so back to square one. <laughs> so, um, do you know, do you want to talk about what happened? Because I'm really curious to find out, did they ever, is it the complete stress that triggers them or is it something well, like something within the brain or just the way it's functioning? And I mean, I presume obviously it is, but did they tell you, did they pinpoint it? Yeah, great question. So what they think happened is my mom had a really stressful labor with me. Um, right. So she was in labor for about 23 hours and then decided to have a cesarean because I just wasn't coming out. Um, and then they, and they used forceps. So there's a couple of schools of thought. So they think that maybe my childbirth had a part to play in creating scar tissue in my brain or... Yeah. I also had two infantile seizures when I was a baby. I had one at seven months and then one at 11 months that were, you know, brought on by high fever and sort of like um, illness, whatever else. So they don't know if my childbirth created it or was it the illness that I had at um, those points in my life that created the scar tissue in my brain. So the seizures laid dormant until my early childhood, which tends to happen. Um, at the point when I had my infantile seizures, I was put on phenobarbital um, until age five, and I never had another seizure. So I went through my entire, you know, adolescence, childhood, whatever, not knowing a single thing. For all intents and purposes, I had a normal childhood. Right, okay. So yeah. then when they came back at 21, it was a yeah. total surprise. And, you know, yeah. I spoke to my mom and she's like, oh, yeah, well, you had two infantile seizures. I was like, oh. And she had written all my medical history in my baby book. And so I was able to go back and review that. And, I mean, oh, they did um, spinal tap to see if I had meningitis. They did a whole bunch of stuff when I was an infant, but they never found anything. So it lay dormant for all those years. And stress, as we know, is just a, such a big contributing factor to a lot of illnesses. I mean, you're talking about having a baby, your partner's, you know, and you split up, and then they start coming back. Um, and what I'm interested to, just to go back a little bit, is at that particular time, you said your son was a year old. Yeah. What, were you getting help from your parents to look after him? Because you said you couldn't even bathe yourself. No. Um I was in another relation, like I met somebody in the right. so we probably moved in faster, you know, than yeah. 
we should have at the time, you know, but based on that, right? So, and I think it was a relationship of he needed to be needed and I needed somebody. So, you know, whatever else. And he was great. Um, so I had help in that capacity. Um, and, you know, whatever. So we were together until after my surgery. And then once I started showing any signs of independence, he went mm. kind of berserk. And he felt like I didn't need him anymore. And I was like, nope, sorry, can't do this. Um, so I was like, we're done. Um, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I, you know, like, um, was like, thank you very much and goodbye. It was just like, you know, he kind of lost his, his cool and it was getting a little scary. So I was like, this is not going to work. Um, yeah dynamics change I was just wondering if you did have that extra pair of hands and for, for that I'm forever grateful to you for that even for that short period of time because you know that would have been an impossible situation for you and probably terrifying obviously of course as well you know you're trying to deal with your own self and then you've got this this little baby that you adore and yeah that's a really tough situation okay so sorry just pick up where you left off there Bill. oh you're good um thanks for asking um so yeah, so then the 11 years later, you know, went back to the monitoring unit, had another brain surgery, whatever else. Um, and thankfully now I'm eight and a half years seizure free. And yeah, hallelujah to that. <laughs> I mean, I've got two bulls in the head and I don't have another option for brain surgery. They've taken out what they can. Um, so, you know, and it's a big why in terms of why I got sober. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but. So eight years, you're going strong. This is good. I would think that also, if I was you in the back of my mind, you would need to maintain your stress levels. That would have to be something that you cannot let yourself get completely, you know, run down, stressed out. You'd have to do your best. That's got to be a high maintenance thing in your life. Yeah, maintaining stress, maintaining sleep and just, you know, overall health. Um, yeah. That becomes paramount for me um so that I even let my drinking yeah. I mean I, I kind of beat myself up a little bit about it but um you know thankfully it didn't go years and years I'm so grateful that I you know recognized some signs before it got too bad but um so let's go into that let's go into you said that basically when did you did you were drinking at what age and then how did it progress take me there yeah so um I feel like you know um as I started getting, you know, I, I, I guess I excelled professionally, um, but no matter, you know, how hard I worked, I always felt like I um, had to work extra to, you know, compensate or somehow to make myself understood. And, you know, it was my own limiting beliefs. Um, I felt like somehow the surgery changed me somehow. Um, I don't know what instilled that in me, maybe back going to you know, what I grew up with, some of the limiting beliefs there, the self-worth and all that kind of stuff. Um, so now as I started getting busier at work, I've taken on more responsibility, life got back to normal. So I started drinking more socially, um, you know, going out with friends to a bar, doing the things that I didn't do through all that early child or, or, or adulthood, sorry, not early childhood. <laughs> um, but um, in March 2016, um, I met my now husband, who's coming on six years sober. Um, he was four That's months. Nice. Yeah, I know it's great. Um, yeah, it's terrific. 
about four or five months when I met him. So he told me, he opened up about it. Um, but at the time I was just having a glass of wine here and there, just kind of take it or leave it still. Um, so I asked him, like, how do you feel if I still have a drink? He said, oh, I'm totally fine with it, but I just wouldn't want it to be every day. Right. Like, no problem. Because it wasn't yep. then. Yeah. Yep. Um, but slowly, as I was getting busier at work and taking on more responsibility, I would start pouring more in my glass or having one more glass at dinner or whatever else, um, or more during the week, et cetera. So I was still really functional, but you know, then it wasn't a problem. Um, I drank to escape so many things, like so many people, um, things that, you know, I feel like I was letting other people down. Um, you know, things that had let me down, I guess. Um, and just, you know, um, I guess I got caught up in some of the marketing lies that were told too. Um, you know, have a drink, it'll make you more fun. Have a drink. Didn't we all, babe? Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. Right? Mean, you know, they, they say you don't know what you don't know. And we bloody didn't know. We were just, hey, as you said, we saw those before us. Nobody was really affected. I didn't have anybody in my life die of alcohol poisoning or whatever so why would we think anything different we just I, knew it was bad for your liver it's so bloody crazy isn't it anyway yeah. sorry go on yeah no, you're fine and you know like <sighs> when your son was young it wasn't like i don't know if there was that mummy you know drinking culture whatever. oh the marketing is definitely i think just got so much worse and they've branched out into different age groups now i mean you know and god love her uh, um, Annie Grace says it too. She was the marketing guru, and um, you know she even says just how they pinpoint, you know, and target these particular age groups and and the messages. And I'm I've got an advertising background myself, and I can see it as clear as a bell. And yeah. I thought, you know, we're all intelligent people, as you said, you were professional, high functioning, as was I, but everybody was doing it, and it yeah. just seems so normal. And it was a way to be sociable and be accepted, especially if you're in a new job. You know, it was like, come and have drinks and fit in, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay. And you feel bad if you didn't go. But looking back now, I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors, whether it's peer pressure, whether it's the norm, whether you want to fit in. But it's interesting, and I'm going to take you back to, like you said, you were drinking to connect things. I saw those things with your childhood as was I, and things that we just wanted to forget about, maybe. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, just, you know, you'll relax, you'll sleep better, you know. Um, mm. And it was just, it became my liquid confidence. Um, I even, you know, was getting into photography. So I was, was doing, um, you know, little photo gigs here and there. So, you know, as an introvert, wow, did I need that liquid confidence? You know what I mean? So um, it became another, you know, reason. Um, over two years, the pandemic started, um, it definitely became my habit. You know, work hard all day, leave the office, you know, from upstairs, go downstairs. Um, and then, you know, clever me, I would wait just enough time until it didn't seem so connected, you know, leave the office, have a drink. Um, so I would just wait enough time and then, you know, have my first glass of wine. Um, but 
over time, it just started consuming my thoughts during the day. I'd be upstairs in the office. Okay, do I have enough downstairs? You know, do I need to run out at lunch? You know, do I have time to escape at lunch and run out and grab, you know, or do I have? So, I mean, it was amazing to me how much it actually started consuming my thoughts. I was like, this is like, to me, it was weird because it was taking up space. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, as you said, we're in lockdown or whatever, and you're working from home. When you say upstairs, downstairs, just for the listeners, you are working from home. And yeah. I have been for 13 years. So this was... Yeah, like, right. So this is like really convenient. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. yeah I hear um, you. So, yeah. And by now, you can probably see that I'm an all or nothing person. Um, and drinking wasn't the exception to that. Um, but it was another place that I was an all or nothing. Um somehow in November of last year, my boss put me up for a promotion. Um, so, I mean, I was clearly functioning and managing somehow, but I didn't think I was. Um, so, Is that interesting? Yeah. Right. And like, I mean, even then I was already starting to, you know, clue in that this is not right. Like, uh, you know, whatever, but I'm like, okay, well, if she's putting me up for a promotion, then maybe I don't have that much of an issue. I must be doing okay. Right. Didn't give me the right. I, really like deep dive yet, right? So I'm like, but. And I'm I, saying you do deserve the promotion, by the way, because I know what you do. But they're not eyeballing you every day. Do you know what I mean? They're hearing your voice. They're seeing you work through the computer and whatever you do, and they're getting the good feedback. So you can be in your tracksuit at home and just relax a glass of wine in your hand because what you do, you do extremely well. And, you know, it's just so interesting, isn't it? You wouldn't have picked up on anything because you were high functioning, as were we all. Right. And I never did, you know, cross the line of like, you know, drinking during the day or whatever else. Yeah. The thought crept in my head. Oh, right. So the thoughts are just really, he's nagging away at this point. Oh, they did. The voices were loud, but I yeah. never did go there yet. And I, it, it, it could have, but they didn't. Um, this, do you know what? Just before we go on, that's what Polly at this point would call mental gymnastics, where you're trying to, to say, no, go away. And it's coming back. And you're like, I've got to get on with work. And so this whole game's going on. Yeah. Oh, exhausting. Um, so yes. I was promoted in January. Um, and I told myself, okay, now I should really cut back because like I'll be found out if I don't you know what I mean because I mean surely I'll get more responsibility and I'll be having to do more and like somebody's going to pick up on something and I mean you know I just finished reading um Quitter and you know she she called herself a lightweight and yes I probably you know if like not that there's any sort of comparison that needs to be done but I probably was a lightweight but still given my health background right uh, you know, whatever. Um, no, we do have different tolerance, tolerances. That's an absolute thing. Yeah. And, it, and because you didn't drink when you were younger too, like I did, your tolerance hasn't built up all over those, those years. You know, this happened to you like later on because you were saying you weren't a huge drinker at what, at school. You didn't do, have a college experience. You were sort of coming home. And your mum and dad didn't really have alcohol. So, you know, all these factors, they, they come into it. And, you know, it's how we're wired too. Some people can drink a lot more than others. You know, as you said, we're just all different like that. But anyway, sorry, go on. No, but I mean, you know, on the nights that I was drinking and even during the night, like I was 
almost at three quarters of a bottle of wine or pushing a, a bottle. And I'm like, this is not like on a weeknight, like for me to, you know, and with the brain, I was like, mm. anyways, um, so I was starting, okay, I'll start my attempts to moderate. So I'll only drink on the weekends. Nope, failed. I'll only drink one glass of night, you know, one glass on the weeknights. Nope, failed that too. Okay, I won't keep as much in the house. Um, oh, okay, I don't have any in the house tonight. Babe, you know what? Well, I want to go out for dinner tonight. Oh, yeah, sure. So we'd go out for dinner. Ah, access, yes. Um, that's, that's, every, my God, woman, you're in my brain. From what I, now I'm looking back, I thought, hey, wasn't it fun? You get to go to dinner because that was guaranteed that you could drink. <laughs> yes, bingo. And then I would also look for places that had music because then we would stay longer there. Boom. So, you know. Oh, God. And I remember, you know, how irritated I would get um, just in general. Like, you know, if my husband wouldn't be on board or if we'd be out like hiking or something like that, you know, if like, he, oh, no, I don't feel like it or whatever else. And just how much of a shift in my attitude I would get if you know like it, it it delayed my access I'm like this is not me like this yeah is not isn't it funny and so now it's creeping into become really important the access is important I and you do you get shitty don't you because you think oh god I've got to go hike back down this bloody hill I just want to get home and have a drink or whatever it is you're thinking but, and isn't it interesting now you look back, but yes, please go on because I am totally with you on this journey right now. Oh, go on. Yeah, it was terrible. So, you know, all these failed attempts, and I mean, I consider myself reasonably intelligent or smart person. Uh, yeah, I, I think more than that, yeah. <laughs> um, I've done so much even after my two brain surgeries. I even went, you know, back to university um, through work to um, complete a university certificate. Um, but really, I mean, that was probably an attempt to prove my brain's value and capability. Um, but in reality, now, as I think about it, it was probably another escape or another way to bury myself um, in things that I didn't want to deal with. So yeah. it was just um, another addiction or sort of um, addictive personality type of thing. Um, and now, almost, it's almost like a deflection, too. It's like, okay, I'm going to put, because this is, I've got to get this out of my brain. I don't want to be thinking like this. So I'll put something else into my brain that's actually going to do do me some good, if yeah. that makes sense, you know? It definitely yeah, I, And I agree with you. It's because I'm like you, we don't do anything by halves. So it's like, yeah, I need something else now because this is driving me mad. And, I, you know, I've got to fill my brain up with something else, something that's good. Exactly. So whether it's a good habit or a bad habit, like anything in excess. Yeah. Yes. Now that makes me think about everything, but I'm like, you know, everything I'm doing, am I doing too much of this? Am I doing too much of that? I'm like, it's <laughs> no, right. But yeah. Um, so, you know, if I can do all those things, why couldn't I moderate? And it was really, you know, kind of getting to me. Um, so now we're in early 2021, so early this year. And I was starting to notice like, you know, posts from friends on social media that were doing, you know, like their New Year's resolutions or just whatever, dry February, dry March, whatever, you know, those things were. Um, and it was having really questioned now my own drinking. Um, and I really hated my reflection in the mirror. Um, I gained weight. Um, my eyes and my face looked so tired, like droopy and, you know, whatever, which 
you know, all my failed attempts for moderation, um, trying to function every day, it was exhausting. Um, and I just, you know, I wasn't taking care of me, not um, emotionally, not physically, not emotionally, anything, um, not mentally. And I just, I didn't care. And that wasn't me either. Yeah. So um, that That's when it gets scary, like me, when you just don't care. Yeah. It's like you put yourself aside for this thing. And, you know, um, and yeah. no, I was going to say to you, honey, too, because I'm thinking of you, are you on medication for still the seizures? I so am. the impact of alcohol with that as well. I mean, he, you're at a, a fork in the road at this point because it's nagging you to death. The, I'll call it the attic voice. You've got health issues that you need to deal with. You're working in a high functioning job, you know, and doing great. It's difficult. And the thing is, you think, well, at this point, we need control. I did. I needed control at that point. But I didn't care. So I just kept drinking because it was like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll deal with it later. As I said, I got to the point where I could not deal with drunk Deb. I just couldn't deal with me. So I just kept drinking. Sorry, I'm just relating to everything you're saying yeah, here. No, 100%. And I agree. Um, and I was at that fork in the road. So I was sober curious, but I wasn't quite there yet. The stubbornness in me comes from my dad. Right. Um, so I was like, you know, well, I can, you know, I'm still whatever, but late March, um, I went, I was asked to go on a business trip, which was a few years in the making. So I'm like, how am I going to make a major change now? You know what I mean? Uh, maybe later type of thing. Right. So it was a plane right away. My brother was near where I was going. So I'm like, amazing. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. So I go and spend the afternoon with him once I land, um, but as soon as I, you know, had some time alone, went to get some wine or, you know, a couple beers or whatever else so that I have it in the little hotel fridge um, on route to the hotel. So I planned, right? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> and then um, I, but knowing that the next day was going to be my first day on site, I'm like, you know, because I was already, you know, recognizing all those things in my brain and whatever else. So I'm like, I'm not going to drink a lot tonight. So I just had, you know, my one drink. Um, and I went to bed, called it an early night with the time change and whatever else. Um, and I relaxed the next morning, knowing it's typically a travel day. Um, I took my time in the morning to get ready and went on site. And then now there's like a time shift and whatever else. So my body's still adjusting to that. I was hungry by like, you know, a couple hours after I was on site. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out for lunch. Leave. And I'm heading, walking to the car. And I'm like, but I don't even know where I'm going yet. So I look down to reach into my purse to get my phone. And I miss a step. Stone cold oh, supper. No. no. Right? Um, and I'm like, okay, well, that hurts. So I, because I tumbled. Um, so I hobbled to the car. And I look down. And I'm like, that bone's not supposed to be there. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, well, shit. So I, um, you know, hungry, still in shock, still like whatever. I'm like, okay. So I drove because it wasn't my driving foot. Drove to the um, drive-through, went back to the dealership, hobbled in. Everyone's noticing me, you know, limping around. Swelling's getting progressively worse during the afternoon. They're like, you should probably get that checked out because I don't know that it's just a sprain. So go to the hospital. They're like 
yep, you know, I'm suspecting a fracture. So why don't you come back in tomorrow for a CT scan? And um, I did three fractures. I'm like, oh my God. Oh God, yeah. So then, you know, now it was definitely time for a reality check because I'm leaving there in a, an air cast, um, crutches and a deflated ego because I mean, this happens sober. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm already, you know, <laughs> like thinking about, you know, like, how is this going to work out if I want to have a drink and I'm on <laughs> it's going to end up really bad. So I had a lot of time to think over the next couple of days. Mm. And, you know, as I was laying there the next day at about the same time that I would have been finishing work, I started getting like a little bit of a headache. I'm like, has my brain gotten used to wine o'clock? And it hit me. I was like, oh my God. And I was like, my brain deserves so much better than this. Mm-hmm. What have I been doing all this time? Yeah. And I, it honestly, I was so disappointed in myself. And as much as I was, you know, laughing about like, oh, you know, crutches and drinking, I was like, no what have I been doing? And, you know, for, you know, my husband, the patient kind soul that, you know, he is, and he didn't want it to be an everyday thing. That's exactly the habit that it turned into, you know, and I have a job that I love. So I stopped drinking on that trip um, in that right at that moment. So, I mean, I had, you know, a little pack of beer in the fridge. I had a wine bottle on the fridge or whatever else. And I was like, I looked at it and I'm like, we're done. Oh, so, you were good. I would have, I would have drank. Well, no, I would have. <laughs> no, I, and that's you know. just being honest. I would have got, yeah, no. Um, wow. I just, I, when you were saying about being on crutches, um, I've done that, but not sober. I've had falls, three of them. It still didn't stop me. In fact, I got a sales job, a brand new one, where I was out on the road driving. And the first day of work, I've rocked up on crutches. And he said to me, how are you going to do your job? I said, don't worry. I've got an automatic car. It's my left foot. I can drive with my right. And I'm out doing sales appointments on crutches. Oh. I mean, it's nothing to be proud of. But it still didn't stop me. This was years ago. And it's funny, the more stories that I hear from different people bringing up things, I'm going, oh, my God, I've done that. I've done that from all different people. And I'm thinking, I didn't even take note at the time. I just kept going. I was single. I was just working these jobs. I was doing really well. I was in top performances I was making a lot of money yeah. and I'm breaking ankles and god knows fractures and stuff left right and center having car crashes and it still did not stop me I had a DUI that didn't stop me isn't that amazing what does it take you know everybody's rock bottoms sort of different now you've been sober just for the listeners how long is it now today as we speak Today is 175 days, a little bit later, a few hours. I'm so Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. that's that's huge, girl. That's huge. So, sorry, go back to, oh, yeah, look at and the bruised ego and all that. Yeah, you're taking <laughs> me back here. Yeah. This is Today I'm feeling very grateful for sobriety. Thank you. Oh, yeah, me too. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I am. Um, and really, like, my second, I don't know how many chances of life I'm on right now. Um, yes, I well. Like my yes. brain surgery was my second chance at life, but now I'm like, I don't know, mm-hmm. I feel like a cat sometimes, um, yep. but every day I'm grateful. Um, so, you know, I, 
I stopped drinking on that trip. Um, and, but I didn't tell my husband, I didn't call him from where I was to say, Hey, honey, you know, I've stopped drinking or anything because, and it's not because I couldn't, it's because that would make it real. I would then be, yeah. I mean, what if I failed? And I have a huge fear of failure. And again, going back to my upbringing, like, you know, I could never do anything good enough. I could never do anything right. What if I sucked at this too? Um, I already mm. failed all my moderation attempts. What if I fail at quitting? Um, so, you know, and it's one of the things I'm working on in my sobriety, um, along with progress, not perfection, but you know, the list is long of what I'm working on. Um, but when I got home with my crutches and my boot and whatever else, he was helping me unpack my suitcase and I brought home that bottle of wine. Um, so it's one of the things I handed to him um, to pack, to put away didn't say a word so days later um we were out running errands and he's like you know do you want me to stop by the liquor store i'm like no i'm good thanks and that was all i said still didn't want to be accountable right um and then i was sitting in my chair foot propped and you know icing and all i had been drinking was water he's like do you want a glass of wine for a change because you know whatever and i'm like no i'm good thanks i still didn't want to acknowledge it didn't want to talk about it um, so eventually I did though, we were just laying in bed one night and, you know, I just said, Hey, hon, you know, been think looking at my, um, drinking and, you know, decided to, you know, cut, you know, cut back or whatever else, or, you know, make a change. And he didn't say a word. Um, and him being sober, I thought, you know, he would jump up and down for joy, but, you know, so I was a little, you know, interested by his reaction. Yeah, I know, right? You expect this great big, oh, good on you, babe. That's fantastic. This is really good. And it's just like, yeah, right. It's like, huh? it's a let down, but, you know, but um, we got past that. It was a little bit of an elephant room for a little bit. But no, I mean, his reaction was sweet, too. Um, he All he did was, like, held me and he gave me a kiss on the forehead and then fell asleep. <laughs> so whatever. But, um, you know, a little while, a couple of days later. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what I think it is with that too is they don't want to put too much pressure on us to make us feel that accountability because they know, well, your husband knows you. He knows that, you know, you have very high expectations. You don't want to fail. Um, so he probably was doing it just to be nice. I think Mom so. was probably doing it to see because he didn't think I was serious. <laughs> he's like, okay, good luck. No, no, but he's been... <laughs> He's been really supportive because I've never tried before. But is it? Yeah. So when we look back at the reactions, they might not be what we first expect, but I think they they definitely had our, our best interests at heart, you know, and didn't want to stress us out too much because he's probably very, very aware of that too, you know, that he, he doesn't want to add extra stress to you as well. I agree with that. And I think, you know, like, I mean, he's such a sweetheart and I, you know, I don't think there was any ill will at all. No, nah, God, no. no. It was really sweet. I mean, you just it's just, a it's a big deal to us, you know, it's like, Hey, look, I'm going to do this. I can't believe it. I'm going to get rid of that attic voice. I'm going to kill it. Like, it's so big to us. It's right. yeah. Yeah. Cause you've been building up to it too. It's a bit like, you know, when you're looking forward to something and it's so exciting and to actually admit it, to say it out loud. And even then you just said, I'm cutting back. <laughs> I know. I can't like, remember what the words were, but I was like, you know, I'm going to look at my drinking and I'm, you know, making a change or something like that. I, I, I might have even said that rather than I stop. I can't even remember. 
but no, I think no, I think I just said to him, I cracked it, and I, I'd had enough. I really cracked it with myself that day, and yeah, just said, right, well, that's it. You know, I didn't. I said, I don't know how, but I got to find a way. Yeah, no, because it's, <laughs> it's scary as hell, isn't it? It really is. Worth um, it. It's scary. Indeed. Sorry. So yeah, go on. Yeah, no, go for on, sure. Girl. And he went the AA path, and I told him, I said, you know, I'm I'm not sure that AA is going to be for me. Um, you know, and I had told him that I had um you know, found an app on, you know, whatever, and that it was tracking my days, but I recognized that there was a community aspect of it. And, you know, so I've been, you know, gaining some support in there. So, you know, and he was completely supportive. Um, and then shortly after I found the, um, the Zooms on there. So, um, yeah, the first time I told him that I was going to be joining a Zoom, he, it was the Saturday one. He's like, I said, I'm going to be joining a, a, a Zoom call. He's like, for work today? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I explained to him what it's all about. So, um, but yeah, I know he's yeah. been a great support. So. so did your husband, you just said that he did the AA route. So he identified that he had alcohol use disorder too, or? He did. He did. Um, yeah, he, he was drinking probably about four or three or four bottles a night um for several years and you know I mean it was definitely an escape a, a way to cope I mean he had gone through his divorce um yeah prior and things like that so yeah he gee you know what it's so much it's so it's so common people coming out of the woodwork now it's just incredible how many people are just going about their day like I used to but it never ceases. I'm not surprised by anyone these days, to be honest. And even now, you just said too. You know, I often wonder, and I've said this before about the aftermath of COVID, people being locked up. You know, because let's face it, liquor stores were essential. <laughs> they were open as essential businesses, yeah, and yeah. so let's capitalize on that. There's great marketing right there. They didn't close their doors. Right. So I guess you know, if you like, in a, it's weird because when I came to America, I'd never known stores. Even 7-Eleven, to have alcohol, we didn't have that. The food was separate, you know, and even the liquor, the supermarkets or the grocery stores at home, you have a separate um, liquor store that you drive through in your car and get whatever you need. You don't get it in your trolley in the grocery store. No. It's really crazy. It's here until recently. Um, yeah. So the access, again, they're making it so darn easy for us. So anyway, let go, go keep on going. Yeah, we could go on about that forever, I suppose. Yeah. So I mean, you know, for me, I mean, now it's it's about learning new ways to balance life instead of all or nothing. Um, you know, I'm really trying to, you know, sort of find a balance so that I don't even, you know, good habits that I don't get into, you know, bad things like I did. You know, sort of with photography, it became just everything. Or, you know, when I was doing triathlons, I focused all my energy on that. Or, you know, when I went back to school, but um, it's just so that I didn't have to deal with life. Um, just recently, I started grieving my father, which I buried by school. Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah. So now with the clarity of my sobriety, I'm able to focus on the things that need the attention um, and, you know, you know, it's interesting. Um, a friend of mine from the IAS community said to me the other day that you can't grieve while you're still drinking. And I lost both of my parents whilst, while I was still drinking. I always say I always that they could see me sober, but I guess they can. Um, isn't it interesting now that, yes, all those things that um, 
we haven't we haven't sort of dealt with. I reckon what we should do at this point, how about we stop and have a cup of tea and we come back and we delve into that? What do you reckon? Yeah, sounds great. All right. Listeners, go and get a cup of tea and we will see you back in about five, okay? Okay, listeners, welcome back. We uh, had our cuppa. I am King 13 and I'm back with Break Ground. And just before the break, we were talking about just how we're going to process emotions now because when we were drinking... We thought that we dealt with them, um, especially grief. Um, Breakground, you mentioned that you lost your dad and I've lost both of my parents So, and I was drinking. And someone brought it up to me the other day. So we're, now that you're at 175 days, and again, congratulations for that. Where do you think now, like, how are we going to do this? Maybe you can help me too. Yes. Yeah, so, um Losing my dad was, you know, um, a tough one for me to swallow because um, about a year after my surgery, um, I got my license back um, for now the second time. And within the same week of me getting my new to me car, um, I came home one day from driving my son somewhere, came home and I noticed the front door like rattling. So I'm like, wow, what's dad fixing now type of thing, right? Um, so unlock the door, try and push it back. And I couldn't open it. There was like weight behind it. So I'm like, dad, you know, and I, I thought he was like banging something behind it. And like, no response. Like, what the heck is happening? So my son and I are pushing it um, even more. And my dad's laying on the ground shaking. Mm. And mm. I thought he was having a heart attack. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So whatever, get inside, call 911, um, and paramedics come, and they're telling me he's having a seizure. What a kick in the gut. Honestly, like wow. it was the last thing that crossed my mind. I'm thinking he's yeah. having a heart attack or a stroke, but seizure is the last thing that I would have considered. He and I had just been outside earlier in the day cutting trees down with a freaking chainsaw. Like, thank God mm. it didn't happen then, but like, whatever. <sighs> so now he's in hospital. We're navigating the same thing I've gone through. And, you know, we're waiting on an MRI because we have no idea where these things came from. And we're waiting to rule out like tumor or whatever else. Long story short, yes, it was a um, glioblastoma. It was a tumor, terminal brain cancer. Um, and, you know, he was given 11 months, lasted about two and a half years. Um, he fought like hell and, you know, um, did the best he could. But, you know, and he had some of the brain tumor removed by my surgeon um so wow which was very weird so now yeah. I'm the waiting end of surgery you know where you know before i was the patient so it was also ironic also very traumatic and um you know to watch my dad go through a lot of the similar things that i did but just for different reasons um so how yeah, old was your dad, honey, when you when that he happened? Was 60, he had just turned 67. You're very you must have just been like you were living your life all over again, just brought yeah. it all back because you know you, your life got on without them, thank God, appearing. 
and all of a sudden, and you would, you would think something else, wouldn't you? It's And it's the most awful feeling, as I know, to find a parent collapsed on the floor. It's, yeah. it, it's you just, but it's also interesting how you go into fight mode, which I did. You know, I was straight on the phone, straight. It's, it's something kicks in, the survival kicks in to get it done and get it done quickly because my mother was useless at the time. You know, she was hysterical. And uh, you just do what you've got to do, don't you? Absolutely. So he, he did last a long time. That was nice that he got a bit more life. But was his quality of life good? Like, no. And see, and again, that's same with me. I watched them. My mum went very quick, but my dad, we watched diminish. And this is my um, stepdad. But, and it's <clears throat> it's so difficult, isn't it? And, and if everyone are out there that have got parents that you're taking care of or watching them with illnesses, it's a part of life, but it just doesn't make it any easier. You do the best you can and you, you keep them as comfortable as you can. Um, my mum used to have a saying because she had a saying for everything. You know, when, you, when, you, when your number's up, it's up. And I said, is that supposed to comfort me when things are really bad? <laughs> you know, like, cause there's, you know, a lot of, you know, kids that get taken too early and, and, and there's a lot of sadness in the world. But we don't want to sort of focus on all that because we'll be both in tears in about two seconds. <laughs> but the processing of the actual emotion, mate, we have to, you know, we have to sort of go back and ask ourselves. And I've been doing that recently. Have I dealt with the grief? And grief is not just having that big cry and getting over it because it comes back at certain times. And I remember both my parents saying to me, look, and my sister said to me, dad would be furious if he thought we were upset. He, he, he said to us, if you two bloody get upset, you, you bloody idiots, don't worry about it. I'm gone. I'm fine. or whatever. And mum said the same thing. So we, we think about the funny things because my parents were very sarcastic. We, we think about the funny things that they said, you know, and that sort of puts a smile on your face and, I think, yeah, but you don't forget. You don't ever forget. Of course you don't. No, you can't. Yeah. Uh, so oh, I don't want to upset you, darling. So no, what no, about no, your no. mum? Is mum still around? She's still around. She's in a different province than me, and we still just have a friendly relationship, I guess. Um, my walls are definitely up from, you know, trauma in my childhood and why I got taken away. So, you know, I we call and just you know so, sort of have a basic conversation but nothing beyond that really now you said you have a brother yeah have you got any other siblings it's just no. me and I. yeah so right okay are you the eldest i am the eldest yeah did i me too yeah so um i had therapy a while back <laughs> which didn't do an ounce of good but that was just for me and i think it's because i was drinking and <clears throat> i probably glossed over it a bit and said, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I really was. I mean, have you done therapy? <laughs> I haven't yet. You know what? I did explore it through my work. Um, I haven't actually reached out now to, you know, do either a phone or whatever, because we have the option of either like writing or phone or in person. Um, yep. But right now, you guys are my therapy. <laughs> um, you know, the It's app true, isn't it? Writing. Yeah, and even just journaling, I've been doing a little bit more of that and reading. Um, so I've read a lot. You know, I started with doing Quitlet, um, but now I'm more on the path of like um, self-help or self-discovery books um, and doing that. But I think I will do well or it will serve me well to maybe reach out and do a little bit of therapy and just deal with some of the stuff that I haven't over the years. Yeah, and you're right. <clears throat> I agree with you. 
um, the IAS community is my therapy and the people that I have met through there and the Zoom groups that we do, you know, we connect through there and we have a little break-off groups and we go off and chat. And the women's groups too, they've been really good because we talk about different things. And it, it is enough for me at the moment. I, I was like you, I started off with the quit link because I thought I have to do quit lit because what else am I going to do? I don't know what I'm doing. It took me three months to get on IAS, to be honest. So those three months were really difficult. I didn't know what I was doing. I read Annie Grace's book, and that was the book that changed it for me. I say it every time I do a podcast and because I understood what was happening to me. And so I guess it gets back now to, like you said, less quit lit and more self-help and mm -hmm. trying to understand how do we know? I've got this question. How do we know when we've processed the emotions? That's the big question for me. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know. For me, I think there's still emotions that I need to deal with with my dad um, and just sort of, you know, going through. And I don't know if there is an answer to that. I think we probably all will have our own definition of that. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting one. And maybe it never ends. I don't know. Maybe it is a continual thing. Um, but what I, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying that is because the one thing that I thought I had to, and this is not all about me, but just briefly, like you, my parents divorced when they came to Australia. I was eight years old. And I didn't see my biological father for 33 years. He was in Australia. He remained. And um, that's another story. But anyway, when I eventually decided that I was going to see him, because mm -hmm. I felt obviously abandoned by him and my mother at the time. But um, when I saw him the first time, it was terrific. It was great. It was like, okay. Because I've been told only one side of the story from my mom, and then you see the other side. Then I saw him the second time and it wasn't so great. And he didn't seem that proud of me. And it was like all the, the glory of the trophy had wore off. The first one was, oh, this is my daughter. She's do, 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 do. And the second time, I just felt like he went sort of warm to cold on me. And I, I walked away. In fact, I ended up leaving his place early. My friends came and got me because I was so upset that somehow I'd felt that he was disappointed. Huh. And so this is my point of people say, you know, go and do this or go and do that. If you see this person, this is going to help you heal. It didn't help me heal. Sometimes I think I wish I'd never gone. Well, I do. I never. I wish I never went back for that second visit. And he died. He was the first of my three parents to die. But, you know, I mean, I can put it to bed now, knowing yeah. what I know. He wasn't a bad man. He made bad decisions, as they all do. And, I, and again, you know, looking at. I'm, and I've said this too before too, I'm finding out more about my parents now that they're not with me than when they were on this earth. But I feel like I'm okay with everything now. I think I am okay with everything and nothing's going to change it. And I think because I am sober, it gives you that pride. Like I'm here, I'm present. And my sister says to me all the time, because she's a normie, she doesn't drink that much. And my stepdad didn't drink and my mum stopped drinking, but she says, they'd be so proud of you, Deb. And sometimes it doesn't seem real. I, I think, am I really sober or am I just dreaming this? <laughs> like, It's great. It's, 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 all, it's, all, it's, it's hard to feel like it's real because mm -hmm. if I, I've, and sometimes I think, I used to, 
you know, I get up and I think this is what I'd be doing with my drinking day and it's still in my brain, but it's fading, thank God, you know. But it's a flick of a switch or a drink to your lips that could change it and flip it all back. You know, I wish I could touch it. I wish it was something that was durable, but it's not. And we have all come a long way, whether you're at day one, day two, day three, because the earliest, the first 30 days are the hardest for sure. And once you break through that, there is an exhilaration. There is a great feeling. There is pride because for someone like me, that was really, really difficult to do. I was a, been drinking for a very, very long time and a lot and functioning. And it just wore me out in the end. It just wore me out physically and emotionally to the point, like you said, I didn't care and I didn't want to be here. And that was when it got worse was when I stopped working. So, um, yeah, I don't know about the processing of the emotions for me. I just sort of, but as they come up, I just try and recognise them and think, okay, am I good with this one? Am I not good with this one? And on we go. But for the most part, I keep very busy too now and that really helps and I stay connected. It's important. Yeah, it is. And you and I connect all the time too, you know. But I would recommend, I mean, my experience is not what everybody's is going to be. And I do really think you need to go back and just write down whether it's the abandonment. And I still have a problem with abandonment too. I don't, that's a big one for people. I think it is. Um, And I read a book and it was really helpful to me that Polly had recommended. um, Your brain is always listening. And Mm -hmm. it went through all the dragons that, you know, we have and dealing with other people's dragons as well. So it went through the, um, you know, abandonment dragon and um, inferiority and everything else. So that's been really helpful. And what I find is that, you know, I, I went through and wrote down a lot of the different points and then they have affirmations that you can, you know, recite to yourself every day. So every morning I'm mindful about you know, reciting those things. And hopefully, you know, just as we're recreating the neural pathways, I'm hoping that I can do the positive reinforcement and, you know, change some of that um, negative talk um, that might, you know, be, you know, filling up my brain sometimes and um, change it to a more positive mindset. So that's been helpful. And that's the beautiful thing about this. It is possible to change it because that's what I've done. I could not get enough quitlet to change. And what I ended up doing was everything that I previously thought, I just flipped the other way. Alcohol's good for me. No, it isn't. Alcohol's going to make me sleep. No, it isn't. Alcohol's going to make me be funnier. No, it isn't. I've laughed more. Holly and I say this all the time. We've laughed more um, in this eight months of being on this journey than I've ever laughed in my life. And I'm I'm, I'm really silly sometimes. Whereas before, I think we were sort of hiding and masking it, having to put on that face, you know, of being professional or whatever it is we were. And and there was a, a part of me that was, I don't know, maybe even resentful. I don't know if it was resentful, but people, I sort of used to look at people in sober and think, oh, God, you're so lucky. How do you do that? Like my dad. I looked up to him, you know, and I saw him having a great time around a bunch of drunks all through my life. Right. And he, he was great. He'd be the last one to go to bed. He'd be up listening to my uncle go on and on and on. And my uncle would be up the next morning cooking bacon and with a hangover and dad would get up fresh. And, you know, you can do it. You can do it. And um, 
yeah, it, it's it just it's interesting. But you know, again, I, I never forget sort of where we're at, and I just try and learn something new from everybody every day, and we stay connected, you and I, and it's important. And it, and it is. It, I value it so much now. Um, and I've not been home. I mean, do all your like family and friends know now that you are 175 days sober, or do you just get on with life and keep it between inside the house and your family? And I mean, you want to say your family. I mean, your husband and your son and your yeah, stepdaughter. I haven't uh, really told a lot of people in my um, my friends or whatever else because with the lockdown and with me working at home i mean i haven't really seen a whole lot of them in person since the pandemic. yeah um, yep. so i haven't really felt the need to put that out there as yet i'm not you know like it was back with my husband when i felt like the accountability thing or anything like that but um it just hasn't been a conversation that's come up but um there's a few that i've told one um I know her partner got sober a couple of years ago and um, she happens to be my real estate agent and invited us out to a winery customer appreciation thing. <laughs> okay, so, you know, when she sent out the, um, you know, details the, the day before, I'm like, you know, great, got the uh, information. Just to let you know, um, you know, I sort of followed the path of your partner and, stopped drinking four months ago at that time and um you know she was very excited for me and um, yeah. I just felt it was best to sort of plan ahead and have that conversation ahead of not being at the event so I didn't have to deal with it then um, right so very few people close to me know other than our household my son etc but um I'm not necessarily anxious to have the conversations but just haven't felt the need to yet and I'm yeah, not and again, on social media outside of the um, app anyways. So um, no, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't do much of that either. And you know what? It's up to you in your own time. This is your personal thing mm -hmm. to reveal. You know what you're doing. You're true to yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter who you tell, when you tell. It doesn't have to be bragged around. You're owning it and that's it. So tell the listeners what you've learned in your 175 days and maybe any tips that can help me too, help us all, because we're all learning from each other, aren't we, every day? Yeah, I think, you know, um, what I've recognized is that everybody's path is different. Um, you know, for me, you know, like I, I started doing the 30-day experiment, um, and if, geez, if I would have known the things then that I know now, like, you know, or if I would, I wish I would have started this 10 years ago. Um, but it is what it is. And then I found the app and, you know, that was a couple months into my journey as well, just like you mentioned. Um, but I think like you, I mean, staying connected has been paramount for me and, you know, owning the journey. So, um, and I think just embracing, you know, whatever the path might be. So whether that's, you know, reading the quitlets or, um, you know, owning that there will be bad days there will be struggles but you know not every day is rainbows and sunshines and unicorn and you know whatever but um you know it's okay not to feel okay some days but just don't stay stuck there um you know if you need a nap on those early days take it um if you you know need that chocolate or whatever it is that you know you've replaced um not replaced that's not you know you don't want to necessarily replace one addiction with another but 
um, you know, just honor yourself and, you know, do what you need to do in that moment. Um, yeah, self-care. Yeah, you're right. And that's the trouble. I've, I've, as I said to you before, I can't moderate. And, and I've had a terrible time with just eating. <laughs> now I'm just eating. It's just like, oh, woman. But I've always struggled with my weight because I've got Italian genes. It's gone up and down and up and down. But I didn't worry about it, you know, at the start. It was like it took everything out of me to stay sober. And that's the goal here. That's why we do this. This is why you're telling your story. This is why I talk to people to help the listeners out there, to let them know that they are not alone and they will find on Sober Town stories that they resonate with. If, you know, there's something that comes out of everything and we do stay connected. And now it's really lovely. It's, and we look out for each other because if you don't see somebody sort of on there for a while, it's like, oh, we're so-and-so, we're so-and-so. And um, everyone's really gotten to know each other, even in the women's groups too now, because they've grown immensely too. And it's a really nice thing because, yes, we're doing the, the sober journey and we're all doing it on our own path, but they have become familiar friends, you know, and it's nice to catch up. And, and there is a social side to it and there is no pressure. I mean, I had to do some of the traditional stuff and it was – very male-dominated, and that doesn't bother me at all. But I don't like being put on the spot in an obvious way. Uh, and that doesn't certainly happen in our Zooms or we try and make everyone feel welcome. And it, took, it takes a lot of courage, you know, just to get on them for the first time because whilst others are comfortable and further on down the track, I know, I was even for me, who's interviewed people my whole life, I was nervous because I didn't know what the people were going to be like. And I had a preconceived notion of what I'd been through before. And it was so such a different experience. And this is what I love about life. Sometimes the things that you don't look forward to <laughs> turn out to be the best darn things that have ever happened to you. And this is certainly one of them. That's Don't a great you agree? Point. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Um, because same thing, I mean, I mentioned before, I'm an introvert. So having the courage to jump onto one of those Zooms was, you know, really nerve wracking for me. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to turn on my camera. I don't know if I'm going to speak at all or whatever, but it definitely seemed like a safer option for me than being in person, um, which I don't even know if there was any options for in person around here. I didn't even explore them because that for me was not something I wanted to look into. Um, but no, it was great. Everyone was welcoming right away. And um, right after my first one, I knew it was hooked, um, not in an addiction way, but you know, I, I knew I knew <laughs> um, yeah. because it definitely did help. Um, it felt safe. It felt, you know, um, like something I needed. Yeah. We're hooked on the connection, though. That's what we're hooked uh, on. Yeah. And that's just fine. That's just fine. You know what I mean? Like, because that's what we want. That's what we need. You know, knowing you're not alone. alone. And yeah, yeah. And you hear people's stories and, you know, you connect with little nuggets and you take away so much information. I mean, I've learned so much from everybody and, um, you know, it just helps in your path. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the more we learn, it puts that distance and it makes you feel like you've, become, you've come such a long way from when you started because we have worked it and you do have to work it, you know, yes. but you've put so much information between drink, your drinking day that you stopped and where you are today. 
my God, like I didn't even know what a neurotransmitter was, <laughs> you know, hey. when I started out and the prefrontal cortex and dopamine and all that, I was like, now I read it and these words are familiar to me and I understand it. And that's where, you know, Todd that does the blogs and he's doing them, actually he's converting them into audio on Sobertown is brilliant because he talks about the functionality of the body. He's done things on what happens to your mouth and your throat and the liver. And, you know, it's not particularly, you know, great. And if I had have read that a long time ago, boy, it would have snapped me into shape because that's what often what I thought. What's it going to take to snap me into shape to stop drinking? Yeah. Because nothing had worked. Nothing. It was crazy. But then again, you have to decide on your own. And when you do, it's the greatest gift that you can give to yourself. And I think that's the point that a lot of people are at, including myself and maybe you, is that we never did anything for ourselves. We were always... We, I neglected myself, obviously, and the drinking was just another part of it as well. But I would consider myself unselfish. You know what? No, I was a bloody idiot is what I was. But I was having a good time. I can't say it was all bad. But I was young too. And now when I got older and I thought, yeah, you know, we can't change what was yesterday, but we can certainly change tomorrow. And, you know, we're just blessed to be in this, in this situation today. And I've got it and I'm not letting go of it. I'm no, not letting go of my con my connections or any of it. I, I I can't even now when I now I can't imagine my life without it. Like I couldn't imagine my life not drinking. It's it's totally replaced it in such a good way, and it's it's just it's bloody fantastic, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's uh, it's the joy of missing out. Like I mean, you're not even missing out. It's you know, it's the uh, joy of missing out. Yeah, isn't that? That's a great one. This is in the line came up with. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to add before we say goodbye to everybody or? No, you were mentioning, you know, you didn't know what a neurotransmitter was. You know, I was just kind of inside giggling about <laughs> that because, I mean, I had such a, you know, vast vocabulary of the brain given my, you know, whatever. But, you know, learning now about the brain and sobriety and drinking and everything it did, it just increased it, but just in a different way. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm just forever grateful of this journey. And, you know, my brain does deserves so much more than being pickled so I'm just grateful to everybody for all the support on the path and um just to be here so thank you to you and as although no, I was going to say I just want to say before you do that I just wanted to say that um you know today as we speak you're in good health right everything's good with the seizures yes yeah eight and a half years um six months almost sober so, you know, and I've got several different timelines that I'm tracking and I'm just, you know, I'm, ec I'm ec ecstatic. And you're seizure Grateful. free. Yeah. Sorry, go on with what you were going to say before we say goodbye. Sorry. I just no, think that's that, was, terrific. that was about it. So I'm just, I'm grateful. Every day is a blessing. Yeah, I agree with you, darling. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you enough, Breakground. I mean, I'm sure your story, people are going to listen to you. You have had a second and a third chance at life. You are still here. You're doing fabulously well. It just shows you what sobriety can do for you. And for everybody listening out there, if you have got health issues, please don't ignore them because alcohol is, I say this and I do believe it, it's an erosion, it's a poison. It will erode you from inside out. You just won't see it. And when you do, it's going to be too late. And that's just the fact. It's not a nice thought, but it's the reality. And we've got to take care of this temples of ours. 
We only have one and our mind and it is all connected and it is all affected, but it can be undone and you can heal. And I just want to say, you know, as Drifter would say, pour the poison down the sink. And please don't forget to, again, just go to, you know, Sobertown. When you finish with us, maybe go and have a little look around and uh, read some books, look at some videos and take care of your, um, sorry, your emotional and your physical health. And we will see you next time. And God bless you. Break ground. I love you to death. Thank you so Thank much you for guys. being here. Thank you so much.